Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. I'm Editor-in-Chief Jeff Palais, filling in for our host, Victoria Rose. Today, we're joined by the founder and executive director of Transparency USA, Tracy Marshall. Tracy started Transparency USA in Texas back in 2016, hoping to provide comprehensive information about money and her own state's politics. In the past seven years, they've expanded their coverage to 12 states and have continued to make their data easier to understand. We've been partnering with Tracy and her team since the 2018 campaign cycle, and their work's been really key to the level of detail we've been able to provide voters in those 12 states. Tracy, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Before we even get really into all of this, I want to set the sort of stage for our listeners that when we talk about campaign finance on this podcast and we talk about the campaign finance numbers we're reporting, we're not looking at C4 spending. We're not looking at the spending where you you don't always know who the donors are or you don't always know where the money necessarily came from. The stuff we're tracking and what's so fascinating about the work you've done is it's really hard just to get the transparent information about the legally required funding information. So uh, do you think that's right? Am I characterizing that in the right way? Absolutely, Jeff. Um, There's this whole conversation about so-called dark money or private money or whatever you want to call it that's uh, money through C3s, C4s that doesn't have to be publicly disclosed. And there's there's a debate about that. Some people want more disclosure. Some people think more of that money ought to be private. There's, you know, there's doxing concerns around all that. But what we are working on, which which is hard enough in and of itself, is the money that is required by law in every state to be made public. And that is the money coming directly to a candidate or an office holder. Like you go to a fundraiser and you write a $25 check or you do it online, a donation to any kind of campaign or political committee, that money is required by law to be made public. And, um, Even though it's required by law, it varies drastically state to state on how they record it, um, how it's displayed, how often it has to be reported, what what data points are included. So um, that's what we're talking about. And I I like to tell people, um, no matter what you think about this so-called dark money and whether more should be disclosed or less should be disclosed or whatever you think about that, I think... Everyone should be able to agree that the money that is required to be made public already ought to be able to be easily understood by the public and average citizens and not just some kind of murky quagmire that's only navigable by political insiders. At Ballopedia, we like to call it satellite spending. It's our little fun fun phrase and terminology. Any kind of surrounding spending around the entity. So yeah, it's a really challenging space. Thanks for going into that, Tracy. So I've always thought that campaign finance is one of those things that voters sort of understandably assume should be easy and obvious, but it's really not. Uh, And in particular at the state level. So help us understand why it is. Help our listeners understand why it is that this is actually pretty complicated and not as easy as we would all like to think that it is. 
Glad to do that, Jeff. So I, I like to say that money is one of the most important um, or has one of the largest impacts on politics, I think, second only to ideology. But it's probably the least understood area of politics. And people hear these big numbers thrown around, but there's rarely any context for that. So in fact, that's kind of how we got started, which might shed a little bit of light on the question you're asking. There is a state agency in every state tasked with collecting all the money at the state level. State level campaign finance is the official term for it. But um, I like to explain it like what we're tracking, what we're looking at is all the money coming in to candidates and office holders, all the money coming into politicians and political action committees or political committees in a state, and then how they're spending it. So we're basically following the money And it sounds like it would be simple, but um, it can be very confusing, very hard to understand, especially if you're looking from state to state. States all have different accounting systems, how they might handle loans or how they might, what they might call it, like different wording varies across states. So if you just start to look at this, it can be super confusing. So how we got started really is, I think it was 2015, a study was done by the Campaign Finance Institute, an organization out of D.C., And they studied these 50 state agencies across the country, and they were ranking them on user friendliness or ability to find information, how long it took, test people to look up something on the site. And Texas ranked dead last in several of the um, different categories that they studied. So I'm just a citizen. I was a lawyer by training, and then I had been involved in education for a long time and just kind of watching this stuff though. Isn't that how we all get started, right? Is you find some interest and then you just kind of get captivated by it. And the next thing you know, you're just neck deep in a lot of uh, government data trying to make it easier for, for voters to parse and understand it. And I think the thing that's always stuck out to me is, you know, and, and this is how I used to think about it before I, I sort of worked in the space, so to speak. Most people follow national politics much more closely than state or local. So when you read about campaign finance, say in congressional elections, what voters come to understand and expect there is everything runs through what's, you know, the FEC. So there's one reporting entity for congressional elections. It's much more complicated at the state level, which you you kind of like hinted at, but you're, you know, you're kind of, you're sugarcoating there a little bit, I think. It's really complicated the way you have 50 different states reporting, they have different rules, different processes, different timelines, different systems. It's kind of the downside in some respects of the federalism, right? Sometimes we just wish there was just one way that everyone had to do it. It's kind of like we get into that with candidate following lists. It'd be really nice if every state had the same candidate following list, but they don't. The formats are all different. But why does that make it so challenging? So, okay, you know, it's complicated. There are different states, different rules. How does our average listener help them understand why that actually makes it challenging for them to get information to see? Well, I think not only is it hard because there's 50 different states with different timelines, with different language, different nomenclature around it, different even accounting systems. So it makes it really hard. And if you go in, that that's part of our, that's really our mission is to make it easy to search and easy to understand. So you can come in and you can change. If you want to compare California to Florida, you can look at both those states. You can see we're going to take the numbers and put it in the same nomenclature so you can get side-by-side numbers. We also provide um, historical data as far back as 2017 in all our states. We go back to 2015 in Texas. But so you can see, you start to see trends over time, like how did the money compare to the last presidential cycle in 2020 to 2016? Or how about the midterms, 2022 to 2018? And by putting it all in a common format and making it easy to search and easy to understand, 
we're trying to provide a service. So the average citizens, just donors, citizens, journalists, even there's a real need for journalists to be able to put the money in context. They can come and it's not just political insiders or um, people who know how to work the system that can dig in and understand the money in politics. We really want to make it accessible. And I think that kind of leads to, to the thing that I have personally valued most. It's the, the speed and the timeliness of it. My first six years at Ballopedia, we really couldn't get much campaign finance information up for our readers until after the election. So if you're a voter and you're curious about some race and you go look up information, come to Ballopedia, you, you find the article about the candidates, you're not going to find campaign finance information about that race before the election. You'll get that information for the prior cycle, but that doesn't help you decide uh, how are you going to vote in the upcoming race. And what I was most and what we were all so excited about here at Ballopedia when we got all this started was we're giving voters that information faster in real time. So you're, you're able to get the data based on the filing deadlines for, for campaign finance requirements so that when voters go look on October 31st of an election year, they're going to get current year campaign finance data, which is which is incredibly powerful to your point about, you know, being one of the top three most important information points to help voters. So why was that always so hard for a long time to get that information faster? What, what do you think has been the holdup in the sort of campaign finance space and without revealing secrets, so to speak? What is it that that helps you all be able to figure that out? We are really proud of that, Jeff. Um, and I do think that's what caught the attention of Ballotpedia in the first place. And back when we were just Transparency Texas, is that we were getting data live. And still to this day, I'm very proud of the fact that as soon as it's made available by the state agency, we have it live typically within 48 hours. So it's usable. It's actually fresh. And you know, this is kind of had to do with sort of my naivete. I think that it's so hard to wrangle and wrestle these numbers that Typically, what was happening was it would go on the state website kind of when they when they got it there, but then anyone who looked at it or was trying to publish it, it was just kind of a confusing kind of a mess. It's hard to deal with these systems. And so they would wait till the year end and then they'd publish it in a batch at the year end. Well, when I started, I didn't, I, we just didn't even know better. I just thought, well, if it's not available quickly, it's not useful. So we started doing that and kind of just for, you know, I just came at it because I had not been in politics, just like, well, this is what people need. It's not useful unless it's fresh data. So um, that's what we do. We're still doing that. In fact, I have some news to announce, Jeff, here that's going live. We just launched uh, this week, Colorado, our 13th state. So we're really excited about that. And that puts us well over 50% of the U.S. population covered. That's really exciting. There have always been strange stories about how to get data. Those are some of my favorite parts of, of covering the voter education space or, or hearing all of those quirky instances. And I'll give you one of our own examples. When we had to mail a, a check for a dollar to a government agency to get certified election results because they wouldn't release them otherwise. There's always weird things like that or, you know, getting mailed results in the mail. So... I'm always curious to ask, what are a couple of your 
quirky stories. You don't have to call a state out by name because we don't need to single anyone out. But this is just, they're a great way to indicate how complicated it is to get this data. It's not like everything is available online in the same format and you click a button and you download it. It's not like going to Amazon and you add it to your cart. Voila. So over the years, what have been some of the strangest uh, encounters you've had with trying to get the data in the first place? Sure. So I'll tell you about some difficulty getting the data and then just um, how we have learned uh, and how we're still trying to improve on making it more and more user friendly. So um, we do some states. It's pretty easy. They have a download. And once they get the data, they make it available and we can just go download the data. And then we start working on cleaning it up and putting it in our common format and all that. Other states, we have to search and scrape. We still have one state, a very major state. I won't call them out, but they send us data on a DVD. We joke that it's like still like it's 1998 or something. We get data from them. Not on a Blu-ray, it's a DVD. <laughs> it is a DVD <laughs> or a C, whatever, yeah. not not CD, excuse me, floppy disk. I don't even know the terms anymore. It's a um, physical object. Yet it's a physical object that they send via snail mail. And because again, it's not just that they all have different different formats and filing deadlines, but they all have different state laws that govern it. So in some states, it just says the data has to be available. It doesn't even say it has to be searchable. So we have to ask for the data. And in that case, they literally, the only way they'll release it is to send it on, on that physical disk, snail mail. That's been kind of interesting. There's, there have been times that we've been like um, waiting on a state waiting on a state. We knew they had a filing deadline. We're watching, watching, watching. Finally, we call and say, um, your filing deadline was Tuesday, say, uh, just checking on the data. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'll go over and push that button. <laughs> and so um, there's a whole lot more uh, human interaction than you would imagine. We, we've joked about needing to send cookies to remind people to actually publish the data, but we don't. That's a violation in some states. It's certainly an in a situation where, you know, I think what you've encountered is there's a desire to put the information out from, from those who collect it. But, you know, until someone asks for it, everyone has, is busy at work and they've got other priorities. So we find, you know, their government officials who work in the space are, are happy to help if you ask them in the right way and in the right time. Any other interesting experiences besides the, the CDs and DVDs? Well, I'll just tell you something that, that we realized. We had an inquiry from someone on our website about, I think it was Gavin Newsom. I know it was out in California, but there was um, a large donation from a bank. These people were concerned about why would this bank be giving to this campaign? It turns out that this just, this just goes to show how it's different in every state, but Gavin Newsom's campaign accounts were at, held at this bank, and those were interest payments from the bank to his account based on just because he had money there, just like any interest on any bank account. But that was a great thing for us to realize. So it really was money coming in from that bank to his account, but it wasn't a typical campaign contribution. It was just interest on um, existing money in the bank. We had it where you could, if you drilled down on that contribution, you could see that it was an interest payment. But that was a great learning moment for us to realize that we needed to make that kind of data more visible, like top line visible for people coming to the site. So we're just doing that kind of thing all the time, um, trying to make it easy and obvious for people to understand the money. Got to ask the obvious question that listeners will be thinking right now. Was it Silicon Valley Bank? 
Because that's what they would wasn't. all be thinking. So yes, yes, just to help you all uh, understand, yeah. it, it was not SUV. Uh, it's a diff- no. different kind of banking situation. That is where we're at right. right now. Yeah, no, thanks, Jeff, because you probably saved me a whole bunch of emails that would come <laughs> in after this. So thanks for the question. Your point, I think, that you're, you're, you're making over and over again is just that this stuff's really complicated and each state is different. And the, the story that I like to think about also that comes to mind is paper filings. So some states, you can file your campaign finance records on a sheet of paper in person pretty late in the process. And this, that's really hard for a state to get that, you know, uploaded into a system that's searchable and discoverable and understandable. And, you know, there's rules around limits that do and don't need to be reported. So how do you process paper filings like that? Which I know like North Carolina, I think is an example where they have some, some paper filings that, that can get processed. So how does that all work? In some states, those paper filings, the state takes them and digitizes them. So that helps a lot. Um, in some other states, um, the way the paper is, the way it's put online, like a PDF, we can kind of scan it and extract it. North Carolina is an example, and I can't remember the exact parameters in North Carolina, but if you have contributions below a certain level, you can file paper reports, and they're not in a form that can be scanned. So, and the state doesn't automatically digitize them. So it you know there is a s- small percentage of donations in North Carolina that we just can't get. So Tracy ever since you've been doing this I, I think what we've found in our work is interest in state and local elections has only been increasing over the years. And and I'm curious from from the work you've done in the campaign finance space are you seeing that as well and and how are you seeing that come through? Absolutely. Um it's been interesting Jeff. As you know um we started working with Ballotpedia. I think it was, well, we, we started in 2016 in Texas, and I believe that Ballotpedia started publishing our data in 2018. And then around 2019, 2020, we started talking, working with you guys, kind of a partnership to add at that time to add eight more states to make it nine states. And so I wish I could say that I had been, you know, clairvoyant or something, but not so. But we got those states online in 2020, and the timing really could couldn't have been more better because, of course, everyone knows what happened in 2020 is COVID hit. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, there's something more that I should pay attention to politically than just the drama going on in D.C. All of a sudden people cared about what was going on at their state in, in their state capitals and with their state government because they realized, oh, it did depends on my state government about whether we're going to have closures or lockdowns or mask requirements and vaccine requirements. And so we've seen every time something like that has happened, we see a huge spike in traffic. So in 2020, right right when we rolled out those other states, it was great timing because there was this huge greater interest in uh, state level politics. And then we saw it again, actually, in last year when the um, Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade. Women's health care issues, uh, abortion, life, whatever you want to call it, that was sent back to the states. All of a sudden, again, we saw a huge spike in traffic as people were interested in what's going on and who was funding their state politicians and who the movers and shakers were on the state level so they could apply their own pressure wherever they wanted to. We see this now. We saw again another spike when the CDC came out with some guidelines surrounding vaccines, and it's going to be up to the individual states to decide whether to enforce those. So really over the last few years, again, I wish I could say that I saw it coming and planned for it. We started focusing on state level politics right at a time that there was huge hunger for more information about what was going on at the state level. I think there's something else 
that's happened in recent years too, Jeff, and that is that we have seen a decrease in the level of trust for mainstream media sources. And so I think people are looking for ways to get nonpartisan, non-biased, just straight up information. And that's certainly what Ballotpedia offers. And that's what we do too. And I think there's just a real hunger there for people to be able to get information for themselves that's non-biased, that's just straight up data, straight up information. They can um, come to their own conclusions. There's a lot more money flowing into politics in recent years, and it seems like it's coming both to you know the official candidates themselves, but also to the organizations that are the, you know the satellite groups that are surrounding the candidates. And yeah, it's it's interesting that with each issue, you know, we see the same thing at Ballopedia. When issues come up that 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 capture voters' interest, they go running to go find more information about it because Americans and voters are they're curious by nature and they want more information so they can make up their minds and, and learn about what matches their values most. So what are you seeing then this year, Tracy? It's uh, kind of looking ahead to the rest of 2023. You know, we know what we're, what we're excited about and we've seen it. And if you're a listener to the podcast, you've heard us talk about the the elections and, and, and topics that we think are going to be interesting in 2023. But what are you seeing over in the campaign finance side of things? Most of our states don't have elections this year. It's an off year, if you call it, except a couple of them do. So Wisconsin has an interesting Supreme Court race. If you go on our site and choose Wisconsin, top of that page, there's a red button that has races. And it's interesting to click on that because you can then see side by side the campaign finance or the money that's coming in to the politicians in a race. People tend to really like that feature so they can see it side by side. Yes. And this Wisconsin Supreme Court race, that race is very lopsided financially. The liberal backed candidate has like a nine to one advantage over the more conservative backed candidate in the, that Wisconsin Supreme Court race. So that'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't say count him out necessarily, though. That's been one thing that's been really interesting to me as I've spent the last six going on seven years in the world of money and politics is that money is certainly necessary for a campaign. It's necessary to have an infrastructure. It's necessary to get your name out, but it is not um, exclusively, I'd say, predictive of a win. So there are a lot of cases. Um, we see it. In fact, every time there's an election cycle, we um, see a lot more instances of um, the most well-funded candidate doesn't necessarily win. Yeah, we had a lot of fun last year writing all of those news stories together where we focused on, you know, periodically writing articles about who's raising more and who was raising the, the least amount of money and how there, you know, there really isn't a direct correlation between money equaling victory. You know, it's certainly, like you said, I'm sure candidates won't turn down money if offered it, but it's not a directly correlated situation. And Virginia will be a very interesting election for uh, to follow this year, especially particularly after the governor's election in 2021. Yes. Right before a presidential election cycle, everyone likes to look to Virginia to see what does it pretell about what we'll see in the presidential election next year. They're kind of a bellwether. And they have, I think, 100 House races and 40 Senate races and smattering of others coming up this November. So there, there'll be a lot to, lot to follow there. Yeah, the trifecta balance will be at stake. So you, you live down in, in Texas and I live in South Carolina. So we both live in warm weather climates, which means we probably like the beach. So we're running into someone at the beach and all of a sudden, you know, it's a casual beach observer and they say, so what do you do? And you, you kind of give them a quick explanation. They say, why does that matter? 
I would say that money drives politics. There's an old expression uh, credited to different politicians, but it's that money's the mother's milk of politics. So it's this crucially important aspect of politics, but it's very, very hard to understand. And so what we're doing is that we're making it available so that my new friend on the beach can understand where the money's coming from, who's getting the money, who's giving the money, and then how the money's being spent in a really easy, easy to search, easy to understand way. That's what we're trying to do for more and more people across the country. Well, we love working together, Tracy. So thank you for all the work you do. For our listeners, you can check out Transparency USA's work and learn more about state campaign finance information by clicking the links in our show notes. Make sure you subscribe to On the Ballot wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jeff Palais, and thanks for listening.